Dissonance Media and the Other Stories presents Step into the abyss of After the Gloaming, a gothic fiction podcast that delves into the depths of human emotion. Unyielding love, revenge, internal struggles, and restless souls await you in nine haunting episodes where dread, fear, and rare glimpses of eerie happiness linger. Dare to listen on your favourite podcatcher? After the gloaming beckons, search now, but beware, innocence will be left behind. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome. Like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. These aren't the stories your mother told you. No, these are the other stories. <laughs> <laughs> Kobayashi's Collection. Written by Andy Conduit Turner. Narrated by Justin Fife. Seb, I've been thinking, and well, there's a dangerous and unusual action in and of itself. Sebastian cut David off without even looking up from his phone. This job was way out of his half-brother's comfort zone. Anything were being quiet and not caving in a security guard's skull as a show of force before a single word had been spoken was out of his comfort zone. Don't be like that, Seb. I've just got me ways. I don't like this creeping about and like working with strangers less. David slid the final few bullets into the clip he was loading before snapping it back into the custom-made, chrome-plated monstrosity he insisted on bringing on every job. David, although you may not trust Hayasako, I know her work intimately. Her technical knowledge is going to get us into Kobayashi's collection without the need to abduct a single loved one, fire a single bullet, or sever a single thumb. At this, David leaned forward and sighed. These were not positive features of a job. Knowing that a depressed and morose David was no help on any job, Sebastian tried to mollify him. 
you still want to pull off the most daring and notorious heist on every continent, don't you? Yes, David replied flatly, still sulking. Well then, let me do this one my way, and I promise, for the African job, we'll come up with something that means using that grenade launcher you've been pining after. David looked up. Proper explosive rounds. No poxy gas. Absolutely no poxy gas. The smile beamed across David's face as he patted his brother's shoulder roughly. All right, big brother. You've got this one. Guess I can't be the star on all seven continents. Sebastian returned the smile. He hadn't the heart to remind David there was nowhere to rob in Antarctica. The moment was cut short by the side door of the van sliding open to reveal a petite woman wearing a business suit with dark hair tied neatly into a ponytail. She was flanked on either side by two large men in identical suits and, despite the hour, sunglasses. Gentlemen, a great pleasure to meet you at last. I trust you're ready. Jet lag, love, David spoke as he stepped out of the van. As far as my body's concerned, it's yesterday's afternoon. A pleasure to meet you in person, Hisako. Sebastian spoke as he stepped out of the van behind his brother, brushing the creases out of his suit before shaking her hand. Shall we? As service entrances to buildings went, this one was fancy. Large glass double doors stood before them. As they approached, Hisako took out her phone and started tapping. Are you using similar logic to the other system cracks you supplied us with? I found the way that the algorithm subverted and overwrote the original code of the system to be quite elegant. Sebastian didn't really understand the tech, but David wouldn't know that. Not necessarily, Isaka replied bluntly. My company, Bayo, which I mean I, designed Mr. Kobayashi's entire security system. There is no need to hack a system which I can simply disable. With a final button press on her phone, the doors silently slid open. Hisako turned and gave a faint bow as an actor might after an impressive stage performance. Gentlemen, for the next 30 minutes, all doors are unlocked. Tomorrow, Mr. Kobayashi's team will discover that not only has a technically accomplished thief stolen some most prized items from his collection, but also erased all security footage, inclusive of any cloud-based backups. Just wait a minute, David paused, one hand on his gun at his waist and the other firmly gripping Hasako's shoulder. Why would you make your security system look like a pile of toss then? Smiling and brushing his hand off with remarkable ease, Hasako replied. Mr. Kobayashi has neglected to purchase a premium update which closes a flaw in his system I informed him of. There is a risk to cutting corners with your security, especially when one chooses to house your collection in such a remote part of the country. I am confident this upgrade would be paid for in full following this unfortunate robbery. The group passed quickly and silently through the back rooms of the building. As Hisako had promised, every door was wide open and no alarm sounded. Everything from cameras to motion and heat sensors were offline. Within moments, the unusual band of thieves stood in a huge high-ceiling gallery filled with display cases. 
Kobayashi's private collection was extensive as the rumors had suggested. Each cabinet was stocked with exquisite artwork and countless artifacts, decorative statues, ornate swords, and divine-looking jewelry. Most notably of all, however, in the very center of this vast room stood another smaller structure. Tiny in comparison to the aircraft hangar-like proportions of the room that enveloped it, the little three-tiered pagoda was painted a deep red color, offset by sections lacquered in deep black. Well, that explains the remote location, Sebastian mused. He's built this entire collection around a part of it he's unable to move anywhere else. He stood for a moment, briefly awestruck by the sheer scope of the undertaking their mark had taken to gather and store his collection before returning to the business at hand. Your men have been briefed on the items our buyers have identified. Nodding, Hisako turned to the silent guards while giving some instructions in Japanese. The men grunted in ascension and marched off to go about collecting. At this point, realizing he wouldn't even be begging the loot from this so-called heist, David began to feel frustration get the better of him. So, Seb, why exactly at this point are we even here, mate? No security blokes to mess up. The queen of the internet here opening every bleeding door in the gaff, and now even Dulce and Cabana are grabbing all the gear. We might as well be sat at home. I'm not having it. With that, David snatched another of his favorite heist accessories from his belt, and without uttering another word, flicked his wrist, prompting a telescopic baton to spring to its full length before smashing a display case with a single blow. Meeting his brother's eye with a look of defiance, he lifted out a samurai sword with his free hand. Right, now I've at least got a souvenir. No sooner had he spoke when a creaking sound, combined with the noise of shuffling feet coming from the temple, arrested the brother's attention. Sebastian frowned and motioned to David with a quick head gesture. In turn, David made swiftly for the small structure, raising his gun as he muttered to a silent Hisako. Oh man, don't trust your tech crap as much as you reckoned, eh, love? The door swung open as David reached the foot of the steps up to the temple. The sight that greeted him was far from what he prepared himself for. The thing stood on two legs, close to seven feet tall, its body little more than a fleshy, pulsating, puce-colored lump adorned all over with countless jewels of some... At that point, he noticed the jewels weren't glinting in the light. They were blinking. Those were eyes. The creature's flesh jiggled as it took awkward, shambling steps before simply stopping just outside the temple, staring at the intruders with its countless eyes. Impressive to behold, is it not? The voice of an elderly man boomed from the speaker set all around the room. Though the voice spoke English, the accent left little doubt in Sebastian's mind that it was the voice of their mark, Kobayashi. It is unfitting that lowly thieves such as you, who come to rob me of mere trinkets, should be rewarded by seeing the most rare and valuable articles of my country's heritage I have collected. But rest assured, your greed will not go unpunished. Suddenly, acutely aware they had been set up, the brothers regrouped. Hisako, meanwhile, stood motionless. No thief escapes Hayokuni-sama's case 
but he is not much of a fighter. Others will deal with you. But first, Kitsune-chan, you may end your charade as Hayasako. Hi, Kobayasaki-san. Hayasako replied with a nod. You rotten slag! David raised his gun, firing three shots at the woman who had led them into this ambush. As the bullets reached her, however, her entire form was obscured by an explosion of dark smoke, which seemed to shift and writhe before clearing to reveal the figure of the woman replaced by an ebony-colored fox-like creature with several tails that sat preening itself where Hisako had stood. With a scornful look at the brothers, the creature gave a bark before turning and darting behind two suited heavies as they stepped out of the shadows. I find violence most unappealing myself. But spirits and demons, such as those in my collection, require a certain amount of exercise. So, while they are bound to me, I ensure this only ends in the punishment of the wicked. Sebastian looked at his brother. He was at a complete loss. This was impossible. David didn't return the look, glaring at the unusual set of guards they were facing off against, preparing his next move. Now, my demony, I choose you to dispose of these thieves. As the voice from the speakers gave this command, the black smoke briefly returned, obscuring the two generic-looking thugs as the illusion cast over their appearance dissipated and their true forms were revealed. Without the sunglasses they had previously been wearing, the two creatures converged to the hulking eye blob. Sitting motionless behind the brothers were revealed to have faces completely devoid of eyes. Their lower jaws hung open revealing row after row of serrated teeth, and their posture began to shift, bones cracking as they moved from an upright human-like stance to a more haunched, animalistic position, like predators preparing to pounce. The beast on the left raised a closed hand, which had opened slowly. As its black talons parted, a bloodshot eye peered out from an unnatural-looking orifice in the demon's palm, as it unleashed an ungodly half-roar, half-belch. Get out! David spoke without breaking his stare. Sebastian looked at him in confusion. Get out of here! I've got this, bruv! With that, David charged Kobayashi's monsters. As he ran, he fired the remaining of his clip of bullets at the group. In the process, the fox creature yelped and darted away into the darkness, and one of the twin monsters fell flat on its eyeless face as a bullet shattered its left kneecap. David didn't let up for a moment. Tossing his spent gun aside, he drew the souvenir sword he'd taken and plunged it into the gut of the still-standing clawed creature as the pair reached one another, the finely crafted blade slicing directly through its putrid flesh as though it were nothing. At this point, he turned back one final time to see his still motionless and stunned Sebastian. Go! This was enough to shake him free of his fear-induced petrification, and Sebastian fled towards the exit. His typical cool and flustered demeanor gone, his arms flailing like a child running from an imaginary monster. After a few paces, a cry in his brother's voice prompted a final guilt-ridden look at the scene he was fleeing. The prone creature on the floor was still moving and was tearing at David's leg. With the sword still embedded in the standing monster, David brought the telescopic baton down on its attacker's head with a grunt. Catching a glimpse of the many-eyed beast as he turned, it was with horror Sebastian realized that its eyes were separating from its body. Some bounced and rolled across the floor, while others floated ethereally, but with a singular and clear purpose. They were all staring directly at him. Screaming at the sight, Sebastian ran, 
This time, neither the screams of his brother nor the sound of Kobayashi's voice praising his monsters could compel him to turn and look again. It wasn't until the following day, when several miles away, the police picked up a distressed foreign man collapsed in some farm, babbling incoherently and lashing out, demanding that nobody look at him. The Serious Crime Division became involved when the man was identified as Sebastian Cage, wanted on three continents in connection with a series of heists. The only potential target matching the felon's M.O. was the isolated collection of a renowned antiquities collector, Kayushun Kobayashi, who had confirmed no break-in had taken place. His chief of security, Ms. Hisako Takeda, even helpfully provided the team surveillance tapes for the evening, displaying nothing unusual. Interviews with Sebastian, while the international community bickered over whose custody he should be handed over to, provided fruitless. The former master criminal had clearly suffered some form of mental break, exhibiting extreme paranoia and delusions of being watched, even when entirely alone. I hope you enjoyed this episode of The Other Stories. Kobayashi's Collection, written by Andy Convert-Turner, narrated by Justin Fife, edited by Carl Hughes and music by Peritune and Mattia Capelli and Sam Robson. So we've opened up our chart-topping internationally recognised podcast to guest writers. If you've got a great idea for a story and you think our audience will love it, get in touch and send it over. If accepted, we'll get a fantastic narration team to lend their voices. Our editor will sprinkle some magic pixie dust on the track and you can have your story heard by thousands of listeners each and every week. For the submission details, head over to www.hawkandcleaver.com forward slash submissions. Once again, that's hawkandcleaver.com forward slash submissions. Until next time. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.